Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Dumas, Texas, featuring biblical teaching and preaching from God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word. If you live in the Panhandle area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you at First Baptist Church. We meet every Lord's Day for Sunday school at 9 a.m. and morning worship at 10.30 a.m. We also have midweek discipleship opportunities for all ages on Wednesdays. For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together. So we continue in Romans 8 today. Um, Pastor Zane led us so masterfully through verse 17 last week. We're going to pick up today in verse 18. And we're going to be asking these questions today. What is... The purpose of God. What is the purpose of God? What is God doing? What is the plan of God for me, for the world? What does it all mean? I would ask if you've ever asked those questions, but I know that you have asked those questions. Everybody asks these big questions of life. What is life? What am I here for? What is suffering for? Why hardship? Why pain? Why loss? In fact, one of the central questions of all humanity is this simple question, isn't it? Why do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen? Why is there suffering? Why is there pain? What is God doing and why does it involve that? The atheist and the agnostic would say, who knows? The agnostic would say, we can't know the reason for anything. There might not be a reason for anything. And the atheist says, there's absolutely no reason for anything. There's no reason. There's no purpose. There's no hope. There's just nothing. Other religions around the world, so-called spirituality, mostly influenced by Eastern religions, would say, well, it's just karma. Bad in, bad out. Good in, good out. If you do good, the universe will repay you with good. If you do evil, the universe will repay you with evil. So that's where suffering and evil comes from. For prosperity Christianity, which sadly takes up a majority of evangelical Christianity today, whether we know it or not, prosperity Christianity would say, well, you just didn't have enough faith. You didn't declare it and decree it and claim it enough. And if you did, you did not believe hard enough to get the healing or the victory or the breakthrough that you're looking for. And if we're not careful, as Christians, we can begin to think that way. We can begin to think that Satan is trying to hurt us and God is trying to help us and God is doing his very best to keep Satan at bay, to keep bad things from happening, but sometimes they do happen and God does his best to sort of come in and do the emergency cleanup. And if we don't understand the scriptures about suffering and pain and God's plan, we can think that suffering happens because we're just not yielded enough to the Lord. That we're not persevering enough. We're not pushing through. We're not claiming our victory enough to overcome our current circumstances. And so many Christians think that if we will just do those things, we'll just believe hard enough, then there will be a happy ending after all. The pain will be over, the suffering will be gone, and we'll have victory right here and right now. This morning, maybe you're believing and pushing and patiently enduring in the midst of suffering or pain or loss or something that's hard, and there's no end in sight. You've tried everything, you've done everything, only to wind up where you started. Nothing's happening, nothing's changed, 
And maybe buying into some of these false ideas from other religions and so-called Christianity, maybe you have fallen into despair and hopelessness because nothing's going to change and there's no reason for my pain. There's no, no reason for my suffering and my hurt and my hardship. Maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe you're asking, where is God in all of this? What does it all mean? Is there a purpose in it? This morning I want to encourage you in one way to tell you I cannot tell you why what's happening to you or what has happened to you happened or is happening. I can't tell you how God is going to use it. I can't tell you what God is doing in it, but I can make you a certain promise. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God has begun a work in you and God will complete that work in you. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 tells us this, that he who began a good work in you, he is faithful to complete that good work in you. And that's the core of what Paul is telling us here today, beginning in Romans 8 verse 18. Read with me there. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies." For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, our Father, this is your inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. Help us now as we hear, as we listen, to yield our hearts and our minds and our feelings, our personal opinions. Help us to yield those to these words, the words of your servant, the Apostle Paul, by the inspiration, the in-breathing of the Holy Spirit. Help us to hear, help us to listen, help us to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Number one this morning in these first few verses, 18 through 25, we see Paul encouraging us as we are waiting for glory. Here's a reminder in your suffering and your pain and your hardships this morning, a good encouraging reminder, you are not alone in your suffering. You are not alone in your trials and in your pain. You join with every other human being that has ever lived and ever will live in that suffering and that pain and those hardships. More than that, you join with all creation 
who is even right now groaning under the curse of the fall and sin, subjected to pain, subjected to suffering, subjected to futility. But the Bible tells us this morning, Paul tells us, that this is not the end. The good news of the Word of God is that this suffering and this pain is not the end. There is hope in this darkness. There's glory at the end, even if for now we have to wait. Even if, for now, we're waiting patiently with all humanity, with all creation, for the redemption that God will bring. Verse 18, Paul begins with this word, for. Now, you know, going through your New Testament epistles, you have some therefores and you have fours. Therefore tells us what now? After I've said all this, what do I do with it? Therefore, do this or act this way. For typically answers the question, why or how? And in this case, it is unpacking what Pastor Zane led us through last week. Look, we got back at verse 15, chapter 8, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if we are children, we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Watch this, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so verse 18 picks up with those ideas. The Spirit gives us this spirit of victory and hope and confidence. Even if for now, verse 17, we have to suffer, there is coming a day when we will be glorified. Verse 18 then says, for now, this promise of glory is here. You will be glorified even if you must suffer now. You have the Holy Spirit bearing witness with your spirit that you are the children of God and that that glory will be yours one day. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, filled with his spirit. There's something better to come. And Paul says, it's yours right now. It's yours if you're in Christ right now. Glory awaits, verse 17 says. Even if for now we have to wait in suffering. I like to think of our present suffering, as Paul says in verse 18, as just the cue line for what is to come. If you've been to any theme parks or amusement parks, you know you see the big attraction there. You know it's coming. You're excited to ride with your family, but then you've got to get in the line, right? And usually it's hot outside, and you're going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, being herded through there like cattle going to the slaughter. And you're getting there. You've got to wait through the line to get to the ride. Now, if you're Disney World, the queue line's half the attraction, right? But in most places, those sub-Disney parks, right? Most places, you're outside, you're going back and forth and back and forth. We know that the queue line is not the attraction. Even though you've passed through the sign, you're there, you're waiting, you are but waiting for the actual thing to come. And Paul says that is the glory that is to come. The suffering that is here right now is just the waiting room. It's just the pre-show. It's just the cue line for the main attraction, Paul says in verse 18, which is glory. The sufferings of this present life, Paul says, are not worth even comparing to the glory that will be revealed to and in us. This wonderful promise of glory for believers, even if we're in that waiting room, that cue line of suffering for now. And I want you to remember Paul's use of glory throughout Romans so far. Remember back in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, what Paul says, All have sinned and fall short 
of the glory of God. But then we come to chapter 5, verse 1. And Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And look at what he says in verse 2. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now remember that word hope is not wishful thinking, not I hope it's true, but it might not be. That's certainty, expectation, surety. So we went over the course of Romans from falling short of the glory of God. How do we get there? None is righteous, none is good, no, not one. How do we get from falling short to that place where we stand in the certainty of the hope of the glory of God? How do we go from falling short to standing there in the glory of God? Well, he says you have peace with God by faith in Jesus Christ, being washed with his blood, being justified by faith in him. You now stand in the very glory that you want fell short of in your sin and so Paul says we're standing there now though we've fallen short in our sin in Christ we now stand there in the hope of that glory and he says here in verse 1 that glory is coming in full one day and what Ecclesiastes calls a vapor a breath of air as quickly as that is breathed out and just dissipates into nothingness The writer of Ecclesiastes says that's just like our lives. And what is that breath? What is that vapor? What is this momentary affliction of life compared to the eternal weight of the glory that is coming? It's nothing. It won't be remembered a billion years from now. Whatever your pain today, whatever your loss, whatever your trials, this past week, this past month, this past year, maybe over the course of your entire life, things are rushing back as we speak about suffering and hardship today. Whatever your pain, whatever your loss, whatever your trials, if you are in Christ, you have a hope that is unshakable because your hope is the very glory of God. And no part of creation is able to touch that inheritance. It's what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. This inheritance that is reserved, unfaded, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's grace are being guarded for that very salvation. This is a promise, even in your suffering, even in your trials. This is a promise on which you can rest on which you can lay your head at night and have peace and joy and hope, no matter the momentary afflictions of this life. This is just the waiting room. Glory is coming. And Paul says it's not just for us. In verses 19 through 22, he tells us all creation is waiting on this. In Genesis chapter 1, specifically verse 31, God created everything, And when he steps back to survey everything that he has created in verse 31 in Genesis chapter 1, he says what? He looked at all that he made and behold, it was very good. If you were with us on Wednesday nights this past spring, as we went through our series on heaven, we talked about this idea that sometimes Christians think that salvation, going to heaven, eternal life, is all about escaping earth. That it's about escaping creation and going to something else that's better. And the Bible says no. 
Heaven is not about the destruction of earth and getting away from it and getting away from creation. Heaven and eternal life is about the redemption of creation and the resurrection of earth from the ashes. Salvation is about renewal and redemption, not just for us, but for all creation. Not only will we be made new on that day, but all creation will be made new. Look at what Paul says in verse 19. Creation awaits with eager longing the revealing of the sons of God. Why? Verse 20. For the creation was subjected in futility. Not willingly. Creation didn't make that choice. Mankind made that choice. Because of him who subjected it in sin. And what are we waiting for? What is all creation waiting for? Verse 21. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The fall reaches mankind. We understand that there's a universality to the fall into sin. But it reaches beyond man. It reaches into all creation, to the furthest expanses of the universe. The fall and sin and corruption have affected even that. But the good news of the gospel is that even though sin and the curse reaches all creation, so too does the promise of redemption and the promise of glory. And when that redemption comes for us, that redemption and that liberation from bondage is also coming for all creation. Just as much as sin affects creation to the uttermost ends of the universe, so too does this redemption that is coming. And all creation, all creation along with us who have been redeemed in Christ, all creation will be redeemed and set free in the light of the glory of God. Verse 22 says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Now, Paul, remember from the very beginning of Romans, has been alluding to Genesis again and again and again. Maybe you never saw that before, but it's there and it's here. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. What did he say to the woman? Surely I will multiply your pain in childbirth. We scratch our heads and we think, what in the world is all that about? Why, why is that part of the curse? I'll multiply your pain in childbirth because God is painting a picture. Just as a woman travails in childbirth and in labor until that moment of birth, when that release comes, just as much as that travail and that anguish and that pain is there and is released suddenly and at once, so too creation is now groaning as if in childbirth until that day when that release comes and the redemption comes from the very glory of God. All creation groans in this great cosmic chorus How long, O Lord? I wonder if you feel those words in your spirit today. In your suffering and your loss and your pain, your anguish. As I say those words, what what is stirred up in your heart this morning that makes you groan? Not to complain and to grumble against God. But this holy anticipation, trusting his promises. And asking him how long, not as if to say, if you will redeem, but, oh Lord, when will you redeem? I want you to know today that God does not forbid your questions. 
God does not forbid your groaning. God does not forbid your lamenting. In fact, there's whole books of the Bible written about it. Do you know this? The book of Lamentations is just a whole book of the prophet Jeremiah lamenting and groaning over the fall of Jerusalem. Have you read the Psalms? They're not not all happy and peppy and clappy like we do for call to worship. Sometimes they are dismal. And sometimes depressing, as David and the other psalmists will say, how long will you let the wicked prosper? How long, O Lord, till you bring victory and redemption for your people? Those words are there in Scripture. And here's the thing, they're there for you to use. In your prayers, in your praises, in your songs, lament is written into the very words of Scripture. And so God does not forbid your questions and your groaning and your lamenting and your asking. We long for God with expectation, with holy impatience. We long for him to come and to redeem all things and for his glory to be revealed forever. And to be able to sing as the song says, all is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. Verse 23 says, we groan with creation, not just creation, but we come back to us now. Not just creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies, that is the resurrection. Back when Zane preached last week, he talked about this. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead will also raise your mortal bodies. And here we have that representation of that hope. That as creation waits, we wait. And how will we know when it happens except it will be, verse 23, the redemption of our bodies. Awaiting with certain expectation and surety that redemption that is at hand. And verse 24 says, that's what this salvation is all about. For in this hope, the hope of that redemption, the hope of that resurrection day, in this hope we were saved. Now he adds, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? Paul says it's not about what you see here and now. That includes your suffering. That includes your circumstances. That includes that trial and that hardship and that pain. Paul says our hope is not based on these earthly visible, tangible things. That's not why we're saved. That's not how we're saved. It's beyond that. Verse 25, for in this hope we were saved. Verse 25, if we hope for what we do not see. If we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. That which is in heaven, that which is coming one day, That redemption that is coming is unseen for now. But with confidence and with security and with certainty, what is there we can trust is what is coming here. And Paul says we wait for it then with patience. Number two today, when you don't have words... When you don't have words, I love that Paul includes this here as a little, almost a little parentheses in his thoughts. In verse 26, he says, likewise. There's another good New Testament word for you, biblical word, likewise. Likewise. That means in the same way. So what have we been talking about? 
how we groan in our suffering for redemption that is to come. How creation groans along with us for this redemption and this salvation that is to come. So too, verse 26, in the same way, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Watch this, with groanings too deep for words. As we groan, and as all creation groans in the suffering of this fallen world, this fallen system in sin, in the same way, the Spirit is there helping us in that weakness and groaning for us. Do you understand that? That as you lament, as you groan, as you weep, and as you cry out in your anguish and your suffering and your pain, The Holy Spirit is there groaning too. And Paul says it's it's precisely that time when you don't have the words. When you don't know what to say. When you don't know how to pray. When the pain is so immense and the suffering is so great. The trial is so tall that you don't think you'll ever overcome it. Paul says it's precisely then when you don't know what to say or how to say it. When the words don't come that he groans for you. Paul uses the verb intercedes. That means that the Spirit makes intercession for us, that he is there praying for us when we can't pray for ourselves, making petition, making requests for us. And the imagery is as if one was hovering over someone else. And you can almost see the pain and the brokenness in someone, and the Spirit is there hovering over that person and taking those groans and those cries and that weeping and that anguish and that pain and interpreting it with groanings that are too deep for words, Paul says, before the throne of God. And here's the good news about that. The Holy Spirit knows how to pray and what to pray for better than you. And when you don't have the words, and when you don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit, verse 27, he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Can you imagine a more perfect prayer? The Spirit who knows the mind of God and God who knows the mind of the Spirit and that perfect unity between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Can you ask for any better prayers? Could there be a more effective prayer than to actually pray the will of God for you? But the Spirit does that. I think it's interesting that there's no imperative here. Do you see that? There's no command here. There's nothing you have to say, nothing you have to do, nothing you have to activate for the Holy Spirit to do this. Paul doesn't say, oh, please do this so that the Holy Spirit will pray for you. Uh, You have to pray for the Holy Spirit to pray for you. You have to ask for the Holy Spirit to pray for you, although those aren't bad things to do. There's no imperative. There's no command here. There's just an indicative statement. If you belong to God, and back in verse 9 of this same chapter, it says, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to Christ. The likewise is also true. If you have Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And so there's just this indicative truth here. There's nothing for you to do, nothing for you to accomplish, nothing for you to check off. If you belong to God in Christ, the Holy Spirit, even right now, is praying for you. So in those moments of intense, excruciating pain and loss and sorrow, when the words won't come, when the thoughts won't come, when you you don't even know how to feel about something, 
You can know that as you groan with all creation, waiting for the glory that is to be revealed, the Spirit is there groaning for you, through you, to God. Praying God's perfect will, praying God's perfect mind and heart for you. Is it any wonder that Jesus calls him the comforter, a helper, an advocate, one who comes between and who intercedes on behalf of? Is it any wonder that Paul pictures him as bending over you as you pray and lament and weep, covering you and interpreting your cries to God? Do not, this morning, do not hesitate to groan and to cry out and to lament in your pain to God. Don't feel obligated to come up with some perfunctory prayer and just say some words to make it happen that sounds religious and sounds churchy and this sounds like the formula I should say. Don't feel the need to do that. You may not know what to pray or what to say or what to ask for in the moment, but the good news Paul presents us with here in our suffering, in our brokenness, is that the Spirit does know what to pray. And the Spirit is praying. What comfort and blessing is that for us who belong to Jesus? Lastly today we see a beautiful golden chain. We come now, beginning in verse 28, to one of the few pinnacles over the next few chapters. In fact, chapters 8 through 11 are widely seen as the pinnacle of the book of Romans. It's sort of where we've been leading up to this whole time as Paul has been unpacking the beauty of justification and how the law condemns us in our sin. But Jesus, by his blood, sets us free from that condemnation. And by faith in him, we're justified and made right. We're made his people, a hope and a promise and inheritance that cannot be shaken even by the suffering we experience here. We know that by the power of the Holy Spirit who is within us. And so Paul brings us now here in these next few chapters to, number one, an examination of the plan and purpose of God for his people. That's what we will begin to explore even right now over the next few weeks, the plan and purpose of God for his people. There's an exploration of the sovereignty of God over his people, beginning today in in Romans chapter 9 in a few weeks. And there's an exclamation at the end of God's glory and goodness from his people. All of this leading us to that great doxology, which you all know by now, right? Romans 11, verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Over these next few weeks, we're going to be looking at those chapters and these high, lofty theological thoughts that lead us to that expression of worship from Paul. What gets us there? What starts here, we'll begin next week and in a few weeks, looking at God's beautiful, sovereign, invincible purpose for his people. Specifically, what is that sovereign, invincible purpose in the midst of my suffering and my pain? That's what he's dealing with today. Believe it or not, in your suffering, in your pain, in your trial, look at verse 28. We know that all things work together for the good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. We know this verse. We love this verse. We have to be careful with this verse. I talked about this a couple Wednesday nights ago in our summer series called Out of Context. 
And this is one of those verses we just rip out and use whenever we want to. I want to make a special note to you this morning that this verse is only for believers. This is not a promise just for anyone going through anything in which we can just say, well, it'll all work out for the good. This is a promise for believers. Look at what he says. Those who, quote, who love God. Those who are, quote, called according to his purpose. And this morning you might be thinking, well, what is the good? What does it mean that God is working in this for my good? Does that mean a happy ending right here, right now? Complete victory right here, right now? That although I'm going through this pain, there'll come a time when it's over and I'll be fine and I'll be happy and I'll be free and I'll have no problems? Maybe. Maybe that will happen for you here and now in this life, but maybe not. In fact, that's not even what Paul has in mind here. He has something much bigger in mind. So when he says, for believers, those who love God, those who call according to his purpose, we know that everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between, everything works out for your good. And you say, well, what is my good? Verse 29 tells us what our good is. It is to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Whatever that means on this side of eternity, it might mean that you will be healed physically. It might mean that that pain will stop physically now in this life. It might mean that God will alleviate that suffering or give you that promotion or get that enemy out of your life. It might mean that right here, right now in this life. It might mean that, but it also might not. The ultimate end of this all has nothing to do with your circumstances right here and right now. But it has everything to do with what God is doing in you and through you in those circumstances and by those circumstances right here and right now. He told us this, remember back in chapter, in verse 24. Verse 24, hope that is seen is not hope at all. This isn't about what we see and what we experience right now. He says in verse 25, in this hope we were saved. What hope? The hope of things to come that are for now unseen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says it this way. Though our outer body is wasting away. You see that? What we can see, what we can observe, it's wasting away. He says, ah, but what you can't see is what's going on on the inside. And he says that is being renewed day after day after day after day. And the beauty, beauty and the certainty in all this, this golden chain of salvation, is that this is for you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, verse 28 calls you the called. The called according to the purpose of God. I want you to notice this now in verse 28. Is this called according to my purpose? Called according to my plan? Called according to my will? No. You are the called according to God's purpose. You, believer, have been called by God to belong to Jesus Christ. Remember, this is where we started. Romans chapter 1, verse 6. 
What did Paul tell us there in Romans chapter 1, verse 6, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ? And then he reiterates it in verse 7, doesn't he? You who were called to belong to Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you belong to Jesus Christ by faith, I want you to hear me very clearly. You would not belong to God apart from his call. You would not belong to God apart from his call. But because you have heard and received that call, you are his. Because you have heard and received that call, you belong to Jesus Christ. And so what does that mean for my suffering and my pain? What means he's working all things together for your good to make you more like Jesus. And in verse 29, he begins to unpack that whole thing. He says, for those whom he foreknew. I want us to stop right there on that, that word for no. Because we often like to boil that down to simple foreknowledge. That God knows the future, and we can all agree with that, and that's where it ends. That is not what this word means. This word does not mean a mere knowledge of the future. I want you to also note this morning in verse 29 that it is not something about you that God knew though he knew everything about you. I want you to notice that it's not a knowledge of something you would do. It's not a knowledge of something about you or something that you've done. What is it? It's a knowledge of you. It's not just that God knew something about you from eternity past. He knew you from eternity past. And he loved you from eternity past. And in time, he called you to belong to him. And so once we understand that God knew us, God knew me from all eternity, how amazing is this next verb then? Knowing me, he nevertheless predestined me to be conformed into the image of Jesus. That word predestined, Combination of two words, pro, we know that, beforehand, and horizo. Now, if you think about that word horizo, it sounds like the word horizon, doesn't it? And it goes together. That before the thing ever came over the horizon, before the thing ever came to be, it's not just that God knew it. It's that God decreed it. It's an active verb on God's part, not just passive foreknowledge that God knows what will come to pass, but that he decreed whatsoever comes to pass. Before it ever came over the horizon, it was decided and determined by God. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. I want you to be comforted by this this morning. This is not a possibility. This is not just a maybe. Maybe you will be like Jesus. Perhaps if you comply enough, you will be like Jesus. But it is an absolute certainty from all eternity that if you belong to God in Christ, you will be made like Christ. It will happen. Hear me this morning. Predestination is not a scary concept that you should run from. Can we agree that this word is in the scriptures this morning? Can we have a head nod that that word is there? 
Predestination is not a scary biblical concept. It is a wonderful, beautiful biblical concept that's to be embraced and cherished and loved. Why? Because it reveals to us in all of our changing and all of our twisting and turning and falling and brokenness, it reveals to us the unchanging, invincible purposes of God for those he loves. And I want you to notice every link in the chain, beginning in verse 30, every link in the chain. What is revealed to us here is not just, listen to me, it's not just that it's working out maybe one day. It's not just maybe one day God will make sense of this all, clean it up, and make, and make it all work out. No, this link and these chains show us that God is working it out even now. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ so that he might be called the first among many brothers. And then in verse 30, he picks up and reminds us the rest of this link, the rest of these links in the chain. Those whom he predestined, what happened next? He also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Do you see the glory there? Do you see this glory that that you were known by God from all eternity? That you were predestined by God from all eternity to belong to Jesus? And that because he knew you and because he predestined you in real time and real space, you at some time, if you're a believer, were called to belong to Jesus. Then, having been called to belong to Jesus through faith in Christ, you were justified in Christ. And what is the end of it all, he says in verse 30? Those whom he foreknew, he predestined, he called, he justified. And the end of it all is glory. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. That which we fell short of, the glory of God. That glory in which we now stand through faith in Christ, that for which we groan and wait in our suffering and our pain here and now, is that which is coming. And if you are in Christ, it is that which you have been destined to in Christ from all eternity. Let's look at verse 30 one more time, and I just want you to answer a few questions for me. You can say it out loud, it's okay. How many of those whom he predestined were called, do you think? All. How many of those who received that call are justified, do you think? And how many of those who have been predestined and called and justified, how many of those do you think will be glorified? All. There's certainty in that in the midst of all of our suffering and pain today. Not one link is broken. Not one link needs to be repaired or put back together. But in God's unchanging plan and purpose, it has been there holding strong from all eternity. Because this purpose of God did not change based on something that you did. This plan and purpose of God does not change because of you. As if God's promise depends on you. And you say, well, wait a minute. I want to remind you of the good news, though, here. If it doesn't depend on you, 
And it can't change because of you. Listen, neither can it change because of your circumstances. Neither can it change because of your suffering. It doesn't depend on you, and it doesn't depend on your circumstances. The plan and purpose of God depends solely on his sovereign, all-powerful working from all eternity. So though your circumstances may rise and fall and shift and turn in all the seasons of life, you know this, God changes not. And though you may fall and fail every day and day after day after day after that, God fails not. And you can know that what he has started, he will complete in Christ. And nothing and no one can stop his plan and his purpose for you. Does predestination bring up a lot of questions? Absolutely. Can we wrestle with these questions? Can we disagree about these questions? Can we talk about those questions? Absolutely. But what this doctrine should communicate above all else, above all the noise underneath it, is that there is a God who is all-powerful and all-knowing and all-wise and all-sovereign, who in those very perfections and attributes has guaranteed eternal life and glory for all those who are in Christ and who are being conformed into his image. And if you belong to Jesus today, it's something for you to rejoice in, that even in your suffering and your trials and your hardships, glory awaits not as a mere possibility, but as an absolute certainty from this God who has made you a promise from all eternity past. And if you don't know that hope this morning, if you don't know that peace with God by faith in Christ, you don't know those promises for yourself, today can be the day. Listen to me very carefully. Predestination keeps no one, keeps no one from coming to faith in Christ. Sin keeps you from coming to Christ. If you will come to Christ today in faith and repentance, you can know that these promises are yours too. So what is God's will? What is God's plan? What is God's purpose? I can tell you this morning simply that you will be like Jesus. Will he do it? Absolutely. What can stop it? Absolutely nothing. And so until then, Pray in the Spirit as the Spirit prays for you. Wait, long, groan, weep, and worship. Hold on to these promises made for you and to you before time and space ever came into being. There is real, everlasting, and eternal hope in the purpose of God. God and our Father, we love you. We thank you for these promises that we have in you through Christ. I ask today that as we've meditated on these, that you will remind us of your purposes for us, and that in all of life's storms and trials and pain and hardship, you are indeed holding us fast. 
We don't keep ourselves. We didn't call ourselves. We don't even know ourselves. But you've known us from eternity. And you've chosen us and you've called us. You've justified us. And God, because of those unbroken links in that great chain, we know that you will glorify us. It is not our hold of you that saves us, but your hold of us. So bless our minds and our hearts with the knowledge of that great truth. And for those here today who may not know Jesus, we ask that as the Holy Spirit has moved, as the gospel has been preached, that call has gone forth. And you will, in fact, call people to yourself and save them even today. God, we love you. We thank you. We rejoice in the great promises we have in you through our Lord Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. It's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.